We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 34 months into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston. Weston, we'll start with you. How are you? I'm great. It's icy and snowy where I am, but I, I made it to the, to the office, fortunately, so I could do this podcast, which I thank God. And, and uh, we're happy to have you. Thank you for braving yeah. the weather to uh, uh, to come in and join us. And we are having some connectivity issues today. So well, I mean, we're going to try and get through this, but I can tell that we're having some technical mm -hmm. issues. Bruce okay. is having some technical issues, probably because of what's going on just south of him, which is where you are. So yeah. we're having a little bit of uh, technical problems, but it's weather related. It's beyond our control. So uh, yeah, but we're happy to have you nonetheless. Bruce, how are you today? Apart from the technical difficulties of you being on the phone all morning. Healthy and alive. Yeah. Hopefully those technical issues will be dealt with uh, very soon. We certainly hope so. All right. Tuesday, of course, the listener, this is Wednesday. This will go out on Wednesday. But Tuesday, that's our day to talk to you, Weston, and usually Melissa. <laughs> However, she's not with us this week, and that's fine. Happy to have you. So what is going on on your guys' end this week? Uh, we like to talk about uh, the work that you guys do over at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and all of the collected works of the late, great Alan Watt on uh, the days that you are on. And so what do you got for us this week? And we'll just start with uh, your side of things, and then we'll just roll into whatever we have. We'll be talking about the events of the day as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. So we did post the second episode of Melissa's Real History podcast last week. They're from Canada. Listen to it, by the way. That was, a, that was a great story. Uh, it started out with... Um, uh, no, Weston's not here. He just said, here's how you hit the record button and then walked out of the room. So you weren't on it. Yeah, yeah no, no. I, I, I let Melissa do... Because because it's not supposed to be me and Melissa talking. It's supposed to be the person who's on the phone telling their story, you know, sort sure. of thing. Or at least that's the idea. Although Melissa tries to add in her own two cents here and there, I feel like, you know, I, I'd be sort of redundant. You know, I would, you know, wouldn't have much time for the guest to speak. So, you know, I don't, I mean, I, unless Melissa invites me on the, her podcast, I'm not going on the podcast, but actually she might one day. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I did help her set everything up that we, we got through, I think, the worst of the technical difficulties of voice meter, all the stuff that you recommended. And we looked into it. Uh, I Well, I looked into it and I figured it out for her. So that went well. And we made another, we, I think we're going to have another episode on Thursday. I think it's going to cut the podcast is going to come out every Thursday, probably not until the afternoons. Thursday and Central Standard Time, so that would be you know, really late at night in Europe on Thursday. 
And let's see what else we got. We have on Sunday, we had posted, uh, you know, another Redux, uh, April 12, 2020, of Alan talking about you know, the early lock COVID lockdown and all the craziness that was going on. He, you know, went through all the different, you know, how the flu, all the flu disappeared. He went through how, you know, the silliness of the social distancing and how, like, you know, the wind will blow and blow the particles much farther than six feet and so on and so forth. And we also went through, you know, how they did the event to a one. They did an urban outbreak in the military, like the Navy did. You know, they had a pandemic exercise before it happened. Crimson Contagion was another one. I don't think he specifically mentioned that one, but Crimson Contagion, that was another one that happened in 2019. A flu that originated from noon, a novel flu thing that originated from China. Crimson Contagion, another pandemic exercise they did in 2019 before COVID broke out. So, and then they, they went, he talked about British science fiction movies and how, uh, they were sort of good at, at showing you, you know, basically like you know, like Fahrenheit 451, I think Alan mentioned in particular. He also mentioned e Equilibrium, which is actually an American science fiction movie that came out in the early 2000s. I where, remember that, yeah. You know, you have, the, you have the cops and actually the general public as well taking this drug that will flatten their emotions. And, you know, all sorts of literature and so on and art is, is, is banned. In Fahrenheit 451, they had the burning of books. And then you saw that with the COVID, uh, basically you saw this, this massive increase in censorship. And I was mentioning in the prep uh, just now that they even had scientific journals. It's, you know, if you look at the, like, like different uh, professionals who will come out against the COVID policies and the vaccinations and so on, they're having their journal, their, their articles in the journals retracted from various, you know, peer-reviewed scientific publications. And, and the pharmaceutical companies are just pumping these, these all, especially all the more prestigious ones with just their own, you know, pet studies of what they want you know, uh, the reality to be you know, rather than, you know, have a proper, you know, professionals just, you know, do their thing and, and study it for themselves. And then, of course, all the social media censorship is basically is you're sort of living in science fiction. Melissa mentioned in her article that Ray Bradbury, the pedestrian, I think it's called, where people are forbidden to go outside and they just are supposed to stay in their house and, and watch TV all day. That came out in the 1950s. And we're living, we lived through that with the, the lockdowns, you know, um, and, you know, you'd be fined or, you know, if you went outside or, and, and of course, if you mentioned, well, I'm a writer, I'm, I'm trying to get material for my book or something at the end. And of course, the, the cop knew that that was a lie because nobody reads, you know. So I think that's also very telling. Um, you know, you just have this large screen that you're supposed to watch and, and be hypnotized by. And and that's pretty much what happened, what the lockdown was like. You know, you, you had Netflix use increase. Alan covered in his Redux that we posted on Sunday, posted rather. I mean, it, was, it came out in April 12, 2020. But he mentioned that there was like, you know, you had free porn hub subscriptions that offered you had um you had all the all the in the porn shops themselves like the physical stores were open even though a lot of the other kinds of stores were shut down as being non-essential yeah as well you know that as well open dispensaries were open yeah. liquor stores were open you could still buy and the liquor stores tickets. too were as well yeah i think uh, but yeah, churches yeah. and everything else places of worship they were all shut yeah like you would think i think peter Hitch peter hitchens mentioned this at the time he said you would think that they would have uh, let the churches at least be open, first of all, because not that many, at least in England, you know, like where he is, not that many people even go to church, you could easily social distance. But like in a time of great turmoil and disaster, you would think you know, they'd want some sort of spiritual comfort or something, you know, but no. No, yeah, no you can't give allowed. people can't give people hope. We yeah. can't do that. You can't give people a, a sense of uh, a spiritual strength. We can't have that, can we? Bruce, House Theologian, we can't have that, can we? No, that would be uh, that would be bad for the new government, the new system, because yeah. you can't have people relying on themselves or 
a greater power than the government. You're talking about how people were, we were all kind of like told stay inside. And if we don't, then, you know, you come out of your house, you're going to get fined. Well, look at what's going on in England now. The city of Oxford, they're starting the uh, the 15 minute, uh, what is it? Uh, the 15 minute city. That's 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the city of uh, Bath, pardon me, you know, my American accents for those living in the UK and Australia and New Zealand. The city of Bath in England is now. Uh, doing the same thing. I was showing a picture yesterday to uh, to Bruce. Let me pull it here. They're starting their 15-minute city, and this is what they've decided that they're going to do. They're just putting up uh, blockades right along the street. You know, those um, those big flower mm. pots? They're just filling them up and putting them out there in, in the uh, the roadway, and you just you can't leave. And wow. how long, though? Yeah, and you know what's next <laughs> from this, don't you? This is like domesticating a, a wild animal. Soon, it's just going to be an iron gate, and you're not going to be able to leave. Yeah. I think uh, that's an agenda 21, really. Like, the, like you're supposed to have your sort of habitat areas, and then, of course, your, your corridors where, where people are allowed to travel. And even then, only if you have a certain reason to travel can you go out you know, beyond your city limits. And I think... Uh, you know, part of this, I actually, you know, one of the reasons, the reasoning behind this, if you think about, okay, why, who on earth would want this to happen? If you, if you read a Randers book, Horton Randers, who was one of the Club of Rome people who did the limits of growth study back in the 1972 uh-huh. or something. Yeah, yeah. Limits uh, of growth, I have. What, what's the name of the book again? I need to write that down. Limits to growth, but he also wrote 2052. He wrote 2052, which came out in 2012. Okay. And it was a forecast for the next 40 years was the subtitle okay. of it. All right. And in that book... He talked about how annoying it was, how frustrated he was. Like he could never get first snow anymore. Like he used, like in Norway, like he used to be able to get, like be able to ski on first snow. But now he's like, even if you have like a helicopter take you out or first thing in the morning, like there's always someone out there, but there's just too many people. And so really, and then he talked about how tourists are going to be overwhelming museums and like, you know, different sightseeing places, especially as the Chinese get their new middle class or rising in income and they're be able to afford to travel and then they're all going to be and on top of all the Westerners that could, that still like to have vacations and travel places. And so he's like, you know, everything's going to be too crowded. It's just not going to be as enjoyable to go to play to have vacations to go to places anymore. He was complaining in that book. So I think you're sort of getting the idea of this uh, why someone who on earth would want 15 minute cities, you know. But some of the other interesting things he said in there. Well, I it's been actually it's been quite a few years since I read the book. Time to go off the top of my head here. I mean, I know some Melissa people, said that. Yeah, I think in her yeah, article some, that I read the book. You know, but it was, it was yeah, good. yeah, yeah. But the, some some people actually want these fifteen minute cities. I, I was talking to somebody. Uh, it was like mm-hmm. three or four weeks ago. And they were saying, why are you against these 15-minute cities? And I was listing off all these things. And and they're like, these are great things. What's wrong with you? Why don't you want that? And I said, you don't understand. I said, you're going to get all of these things, supposedly, which they won't ever be able to deliver on these things. But that's what you have. That's it. And they said, well, yeah, but that's what we had before at the end of the war. Don't you remember? That's how we all sprang up in these communities and everything. And then I said, you know what? I'm not even going to sit here and try and, and go into this argument and and have this conversation. So I just left it. A few days later, that same person came to me and said, uh, I think I understand what you mean now about this 15 minute city nonsense. And I said, what's that? And they said, you didn't tell me that you could never leave them. And I said, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> you can't leave them. You're stuck there. It's an open air prison. Well, I don't think they might not start it out like like you like you that picture showed no, it, put like a flower pot yeah, thing. It's, it it will eventually but, get to the the point. I I mean, I was saying yesterday, right? That but I'm like not, eventually, like you won't be able to afford to leave in, in the first place. Right. You, won't, you won't even have a right. car. Yeah. 
but, right. But yeah, the, I think the idea is being sold because they're going to make everything more convenient. Like uh, I think they in the World Economic Forum that clip that you showed. I think I think it was a couple weeks ago. Was that the singing hyena that was I just played in in prep or? No, not the singing hyena, no. but like you showed it a little, like when we were on one of the times that Melissa and I were on, and uh, you showed the guy. Or actually, no, it might have been no. I think it was just me. It was just me when we, it was the last time I was just me on here. But anyways, the guy was from Zurich, and Zurich is notorious for is famous for having great public transportation. Like you generally don't want a car there because the public transport's so good, that it's just more convenient to use than the car. And I think uh, I think if you if People hear that and they may actually, you know, especially in the United States, which we're not known for that, uh, having good public transport, although the money that they say they're going to invest in public transport is not really, I mean, it's all, everything's corrupt. But anyways, it's, uh, that's how it's going to be sold to the people. But if, you know, if you read people like Randers, you know, they'll, they'll tell you like, oh my goodness, all these people are being allowed to have vacations, all these Chinese, rising Chinese, you know, middle class coming up and being able to travel and have vacations. This is just going to ruin all the sites of the world. Luckily. The Chinese have been building uh, copies of various, you know, famous buildings and, and things, importing statues and things to China itself. That way, people won't have to travel all over the world and then makes the greenies happy. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know they were doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Alan had linked to like a time when the, they actually had like a whole fake city, like various famous like churches, like all kinds of different famous buildings really? in Europe, all being rebuilt in China. But it's wow. like a very posh, like very posh, you know. Well, to do Chinese people that live there, there's not huh. really much. Not really I much never knew like that. For the most well to do, they'll have nicer, you know, cities copied from around the world. And I think Alan joked at the time, you know, you could really, you know, learn something from other cultures because, you know, they're not copying the new modern glass gray buildings. They're copying, you know, stuff from hundreds of years ago because, you know, that's what makes people feel good to be around and to look at and to live in, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, I thought that was an interesting little comment there. But, yeah, they actually did that in China. They had like a city. I forget where it was or what it was called. But, yeah, they actually had like a whole city that was just like at least like a bunch of buildings copied from Europe, basically, of like, you know, different famous huh. architecture from Europe. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really have a deep appreciation, I guess, you know, sheltered culture of America. I didn't really have a deep appreciation for the European style of architecture until I actually came here. And mm-hmm. now that I'm here and you stand next to a building, I want to say it was in Mainz, I think the city of the German city of Mainz. And I was mm-hmm. standing next to a, just a church. I was just walking down the, you know, the street, you know, how the little alleyways and nooks and crannies and everything they have over here. And I was walking through one of these cobblestone alleyways and they had like shops and cafes and, and all kinds of stuff. And I, I come across a, uh, a gun store <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting. The gun store is right next to a church. I was looking at that. And I was admiring the fact that there was a gun store next to a church. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go in the church and you go in the church and the entire ceiling of the church, apart from the architecture, this church was built in like 1370 something, right? I mean, it was mm-hmm. a very, very old church. Wow. Yeah. It was um, a church from the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire, you know, way, way back. You go inside and the entire ceiling was painted. Um, it, it was almost uh, reminiscent of the, uh, the Sistine Chapel. You know, the entire everything on the, the ceiling of this church was uh, was a was a collage. And it was just it was so mm-hmm. it was so moving to just see that. And, and you go outside and you see the angels that were hand carved out of stone. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have that kind of architecture. Well, while you're pulling that up, I would mention, you know, Alan had, had said, you know, lots and lots of cement everywhere and gray and glass everywhere they've actually done studies in in psychology and basically it makes you more depressed whereas like you know old european architecture like the churches and things are made to imitate nature in some ways um 
like a, a tree, tree, tree trunks and branches and things, you know, uh, on their on the woodwork and so on of the churches and the masonry. And uh, these, uh, it just it just feels more natural and more, you know, it just makes you feel good to be around really it does uh, it does and you, you get a deeper psychological aspect to it yeah you get a deeper admiration and a deeper amount of respect for it when you're when you're standing there and you think here's a building that was built and it's still standing today it was built 400 years before my country was even founded it's unbelievable you know we we go through we go through in the u.s and we think oh here's a building that was built in 1904 it's well, that's an old building. No, it's not. Yeah. That is not an old building. I mean, maybe by American standards, that's an old building. But mm-hmm. there's a bakery that's just a couple of blocks from where I am now. And they opened uh-huh. their doors in 1724. And they're still open. Wow. And if you think, you know, the United States was founded 50 years after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy to just think about. It's it's insane. You know, when you when you really think about it. And yeah, and yeah I you know, th- this is precisely the kind of stuff that, that these people, these evil people, they want to destroy. They want to get rid of all that culture. They want to get rid of all yeah, that heritage and all that all that history. Yeah, we have a, we're in a new age now, don't you know? This is year zero. Uh, AJ Aquarius. Uh, we got to start over. and. You ba- I think even the music itself, Alan had talked about, like they, you know, like you have the rap and so on. A lot of it's they're eliminating, or like the screamo, screamo in, in the metal rock genre, and this eliminating melody because that's one of the things that you know uh, old European music gen- generally had, or like almost u- universally had, was you had melodies to the music that you could sing along with, like a singing melody. And so that's you know one of the more recent trends in music, or not so recent anymore, but you know recent decades. That's one of the things you noticed is they're trying to get rid of that. It's interesting you bring up music, I, and I don't know if you have a, a thought on this, if you ever looked into it or not. But I noticed that pharmaceutical companies are expanding their research into an area of resonance harmonics, which is fascinating huh. to me. They are looking at specific ways to heal the human body through the use of different resonance frequencies. And it was my understanding that our music, as in the frequency that we listen to it at, was changed by the Rockefeller Foundation many, many years ago. Uh, it was it was changed. And we, we used to listen to music in the frequency of uh, 528 hertz. And we don't anymore. Whenever that, I did, I, whenever that changed, but they, as far as I know, the uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, they were the ones that were responsible for changing it, and I don't know what they changed it to or why. I've heard about the the frequency that you know standard that you tune the instruments to being changed over the years, but I didn't know it was the Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, yeah. I, did, I did remember like it's an old Baroque tuning, which actually you know I've I've listened to before. You know, I think it's great, uh, but like I said, my ears aren't you know, well-trained enough to really care or know the difference, you know, immediately just by listening to something, you know. Sure. But, yeah, mine either. But yeah, like I, it works just as well, the different frequency. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I found I found the backstory of it just just fascinating that, uh, you know, we, we listen to music and we think, you know, that's how we're supposed to listen to it. And it's actually uh-huh. not. We're not supposed to listen to music in the frequencies that we actually listen to it in. That's not traditionally mm-hmm. what it's been, but it was changed. Right. Um, I do know... Even back, I think it was 17th century, I forget his name, Kircher maybe? I don't know, there, there was a guy who talked about, you know, music's effect on people's mental states. And I think uh, even uh, Mozart, they, you know, he was said to, you know, use music, you know, like in a way that would, uh, in different mental states. And of course, in Beethoven's time, they really, you know, tried to use music to see if they could disorient people 
and so and so on. I think uh, Berlioz even uh, questioned, you know, the idea of even listening to music for enjoyment. You know, you shouldn't necessarily have to enjoy music. And like people were asked, like, what's wrong with him as he was listening to, you know, some orchestra play because he was, it looked like he was in pain or something, you know. So yeah, there's so like during the revolutionary eras, there definitely was some weird things going on with music. And I actually haven't looked too much into this. I probably should, but even opera music was said to promote the different revolutionary causes of the time. But they were already trying to alter music in a way that uh, away from say what would be naturally pleasant or enjoyable into your different areas i guess the idea is you know, you know so you could tell a story you would have a suspenseful or a frightening moment and stuff like that um but of course now we've we've taken that and no longer are we we're not making opera stories out of music we're just you know just have you know disorienting uh or very entertaining like not really like uh what do you call it like it's immediately gratifying type music like it's very pleasant to listen to but it's uh like it'll just repeat the same riff over and over again this is uh melissa actually had brought this up to me she pointed this out to me it's more like a like in western culture there's supposed there's a concept of delayed gratification like you like it's supposed to be you're supposed to wait for the payoff and that was reflected in the music but in more recent times we've sort of gotten you know rid of that and now we have like a if if we even have any gratification gratification in it at all you know if it's not just you know melodious melodious disorientating atonal jazz type or screamo rock singing or whatever if it's it's generally very catchy you know commercialized type tune where you know you just immediately get into the it's like it has that heavy bass you're beating some drums or whatever and it, it just immediately excites you and you don't you don't have any you don't have to wait for the gratification and so that was an interesting observation uh from melissa probably from alan actually probably brought it up at some point too i'm sure i listen to music though these days and i um, i have to listen to like a lot of the older stuff and it's not i don't think that it's uh it's necessarily a sign of uh you know age because i don't think that music really knows any age i mean if you like something you like something if you like uh the right. you know the uh, the tone of something if you like the rhythm of something then you're going to take to that no matter what genre or what era it is but this new stuff like this isn't even this isn't even music this is just ridiculous like garbled nonsense the stuff that's out like now. at the world economic forum uh, that, well that like that that's entirely something else yeah but i mean <laughs> i'm talking about like the these main these mainstream record companies and things that put things uh -huh. out and i know that melissa's talked about that before about the record companies and and how they they're putting out a certain product and they're they're steering the culture in a certain way and i i cannot follow Usually there's some type of, even if it's a twisted logic, there's some type of a logic, even if it's not one that you agree with, there's some type of a, a twisted logic to an agenda. And I don't see what anything, you know, what kind of a, a twisted logic there is with whatever this agenda is with this music they're pushing out now. This is crazy stuff. This whole mm -hmm. uh, voice changing and and no rhythm uh. and no, no form of any kind of consistency in what you call a, a production song or something. And that's top of the music charts. That's somehow popular. I, I don't understand how. Yeah. Well, certainly I haven't been listening to anything at the top of the charts lately, I'll tell you that. Um, uh, the thing is, is, uh, I mean, they do have, I mean, there are some catchy tunes, which I have no idea who these people are because I don't keep up with that sort of thing. But, you know, I could say, okay, that is pretty catchy. I could see someone listening to that, that they come out with periodically and maybe put in some movie or something. But yeah, a lot of the, the music, you know, that I would find, you know, what I would hear, you know, someone younger than me listening to, uh, you know, I, I can never relate to that. 
And, you know, from my generation, you know, I certainly had that when I was younger, where I would, you know, listen to, especially before I, I was, uh, before I, I'd, before my dad really got me into classical music, I, I was, you know, I would listen to rock music because that's what everyone else was, was, was listening to. And I actually did, I mean, I would find like an occasional song here and there, but I've noticed that it was very hard for me to find songs that I liked when I was just looking at the contemporary, you know, music, you know, the various genres that, you know, all the people at school were listening to. When I got into classical music, at first I didn't really like it, but over time I gradually grew to like it. You know, I got used to it and gradually grew to like it. And I, I'm, I have, now I have no trouble finding a lot of pieces I, I, that I like. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess my mind is a bit different. I don't know. Like, I guess I've trained myself to like older music, however you want to put it. Yeah, I just find the, like the older style of music to be easier to like than the newer stuff where basically unless you've grown up with it i don't see how you'd like it i mean i guess if you grew up with it you'd like it i don't know i don't know it's pretty uh, it's pretty horrific to to hear some of that stuff but mm -hmm. that's okay because these people down here at davos they've got a they've got a solution for you at davos there's an event titled are you ready for brain transparency the world economic forum speaker explained how brainwave data collected by your ear pods will be used by your boss to make you, quote, more productive and help government authorities fight crime. How do we feel about that? That is terrifying. Just terrifying? Just terrifying <laughs> yes. that your your brain will be uh, <laughs> monitored by ear pods? Yes. The brain's the last frontier. Once they get the, once they conquer that, there's a, there's no resistance left in the world. And that's why they spend billions they of dollars on, the, on brain research. Yeah. If, if they can read it, then that also means they might be able to send messages to right, yeah. um, as well. Yeah, like I said, they probably they, they actually already have that. They just, you know, they're not open about how they use it or exactly what's involved in it. But they actually he, he's he said that, yeah, there's, there's some scientists that have come out and said, yeah, yeah, like we can actually like, you know, intercept an electromagnetic wave or something and then send it back with a different message and then alter your thoughts in some way. So, yeah, they basically can, uh, it's. It, it basically it uses radio waves. It, it, yeah. It's it's using radio waves to determine what you're thinking, but they can also use the radio waves in reverse and and potentially change what you're thinking, or not necessarily change what you're thinking, but kind of suggest. Because um, when you start getting to electrical impulses in the brain and everything, you might be able to help change it, but you're not going to be able to directly implant without a neural link, for example. Mm -hmm. And here to tell us how that is going to work, you won't need a neural link with what they're planning. Listen to this. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. It used to be that there was very little we could tell from EEG activity, but already using consumer wearable devices. These are headbands, uh, hats that have sensors that can pick up your brainwave activity, earbuds, headphones, tiny tattoos that you can wear behind your ear. We can pick up emotional states, like are you happy or sad or angry? We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind. Simple shapes, numbers, your PIN number to your bank account. It's not a problem, is it? That people at the World Economic Forum to do it. <laughs> people at the World Economic Forum will be able to read your brainwave patterns. They don't need yeah, your permission to, yeah. to put a, a brain implant in you anymore. It's moving so fast they don't need to do that. Yeah. And this reminds me they came out with the I mean, quite a while ago now, but they came out with those cat ears or funny ears that would read like your your states or like your way your your emotional state and so like if you were 
excited or happy, they'd stick up, you know, or if you were sad or something, they'd, they'd droop down. I, I never heard about those. I always it's, thought if you had a problem, um, you would just ask the magic eight ball, you know, you turn it over and it would tell you how you were feeling. You know, I, I thought that was you know the closest thing that we had there. No, no, we actually had that actually came out quite a while ago now, I think. But yeah, like it's all introduced to you as fun and games like your, your ear pods or, or whatever. And so it's just, it's all just a consumer wearable. So you're going to buy it. So in other words, you know, it's not going to be given to you. You're, you're going to have to pay for it. And so that they can read your mind. I mean, it's diabolical. And you, you think it's crazy. No one will go for that because they make it so much fun, so fun, so exciting. You'll get people buying it. Just like you get people, you know, who buy these smart home devices, Alexa and so on, that are known to be notorious for some And so is, you know, the computer internet as well, which, you know, Alan, ultimately, I mean, it is such a great resource if you really are determined to do what you're doing. But I mean, people are giving their children smartphones and so on. You know, these people, they they have no uh, sensor, no uh, determined purpose, you know, for why they're using the internet. They're just, you know, on there aimlessly and it really messes up your head. And you end up spending hours and hours watching worthless content. And, uh, and in the meantime, the government knows all about it. And it's, it's but yeah, that's how, uh, that's how they do it, wouldn't it? It's like they did with the computer smartphone. Make it fun, exciting. I remember hearing about this kind of stuff, the the brainwave, brainwave monitoring products and all that kind of stuff. Back in, I'm wanting to say like 2010-ish, somewhere around there, looking it up real quick to find it. Back in 2013, they were writing articles, white papers on this. Mm-hmm. So 2012, 2013, it was it was being circulated, at least in the academic world. So somewhere around that time period, I remember them talking about products, prototypes that they were using that at the at that point they were able to you could think of a red apple and it would it would put a red apple on the on the screen like Mm -hmm. it, it was able to get that. It wasn't great to do like a face yet. But they get at least get the apple down. And that was, you know, years ago. And now with uh, the advent of um, AI and how uh, much more advanced it is now, um, they could look at those patterns and um, figure it out. You know, you you just think of a something they tell you to think of something you think of that. And then AI sees what kind of patterns are involved and it can narrow it down. Now, mm-hmm. I wonder how much how each human is uniquely different but at the same time, the same. So I'm wondering how much overlap we have, like when you think of something, mm. because some people, uh, I was talking about this with Ned off uh, off recording. There's, I forget what it's called exactly, but there's a condition that when they think of an object in their mind, they do not see the object. They see oh. a void, emptiness, nothing. Um, and it, it it's, it's varying degrees of that. Uh, some people will see like, the full-blown exact image you're thinking of, like red apple, they'll see the exact like a red apple, uh, the the real thing, and then other people will see the same thing, muted color, and so forth, and then others will see like a cartoony, not colored in apple, and then you know it, it, it scales. So I wonder, I wonder how much of a difference this has in EEG, and are those people going to be immune more or less to this kind of technology, or there's a lot of questions I have in this, and I'm I'm concerned because as th- there's no privacy, there's no there's no security, there's nothing. You could have someone come up behind you, stick a sticker on on the on your neck or something like that, or on the behind your ear, and well, there you go. They just got your bank account number, or you know, I mean, the 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 levels of of hacking or or theft just increased multiple folds over, 
and we're, we're this is just supposed to be normal life now this is just i mean did did nobody think about well maybe we shouldn't go down this road maybe maybe there's there's but they, they no, do it anyway you've got to have box. it somebody's you've got to have it and bruce you're going to be happy about it that's the whole uh, point you're, no you're going to be happy about it that's that's the whole idea behind it right is yeah, you're going to take think, this uh, stuff and it's going to make your life better of course they're not going to have I, I it i think yeah uh, the world more actually the more well to do they actually have counters for it and so on that they won't tell the public about i think i was, I was just reading an article recently i think we posted it on sunday about the palantir fa founder what was his name um peter alex Thiel. carp or whatever peter Thiel and alex Pal carp yeah yeah alex carp no he actually personally really really values his privacy and so he actually has the mirrors i think in his office like rigged so that like you can't point a laser at it and like eavesdrop because that's one of the eavesdrop methods that intelligence agencies use. So he has you no know, counter for that in his office, and, and apparently I guess he has some other messages too. The article just vaguely mentioned that he really, really cares about his own privacy. They all, even do. though Palantir, uh, you know, is is basically involved in massive spying, you know, data collection operations on on ordinary people, you know, <laughs> all of you. Uh, so. Yeah, it's quite incredible. So I'm sure if they do have these mind reading, what, what I it's not if they do, they do have it already, I'm sure. But they're going to have all counters before they release it to the public. They're going to have counters on these mind reading uh, devices. So if their mind just, can't be read. Yeah, it's just like smartphones. Uh, I mean, the smartphone technology, the, the touchscreen technology that we have in these, you know, in these devices. Now, this was available back in the 80s, but it was mm -hmm. not allowed to be released to the public until it could be reverse engineered to where they would be able to have all the back doors and everything in and be in control of it because this is what they call disruptive technologies meaning it's a it's a technology that if they don't have control of it then it's disruptive to them because you're going to be able to gain some kind of a, a of a power and a foothold to fight back against them using it so they can't right. have that um, did you see the uh, speaking of Davos? Did you see the um, uh, the video of Albert Borla being questioned by the Rebel News guys last week when he was just he was running out of the way and and he was dodging every question and then and remaining silent when they would ask him logical questions about what's going on and people dropping dead? Well, no, I haven't it, seen that. One. Okay, well, it doesn't really matter. But uh, in the video, yeah. you see him walking past an office. And this was outside the perimeter where the uh, the meetings were. So Borla was just going to another venue. And I stopped the video and I said, Bruce, I said, did you see the, the building that he just walked past? And he said, no. And so I, I rewinded the, um, uh, the video. He walked right past a Palantir office. They just so happened to have an office in Davos. But yes, they do value their privacy. Of course they do. During the lockdowns, all of these people, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and everybody, they were all in their own little, I, I don't know, I guess, redoubts. And, and that's what they do. They're buying places out in the middle of nowhere and they're having fiber optic lines run out to their places. They're, they're building closed off systems where they can remote in, but you can't have that. You can't have hardwired systems in your homes. You have to have everything wireless so it can be snatched out of the air. You know, the uh, the signals and, and all the data that, that travels that way has to be that way. You have to have Starlink. You have to have 5G or 6G. I'm not one of these 5G conspiracy theorists, but you have to have all of this, this uh, you know, all of these wireless data networks. You can't have something that's secure. You're not allowed. Mm. Uh, funny about yeah. this, uh, with, with this consumer wear that's going to track your brainwaves. Uh, I, I was curious uh, on this real quick. Uh, I, I did a quick research into um, reflecting RF signals and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. the, the joke of a tinfoil hat is legit, actually. If you want to deflect RF signals legitimately, 
wearing a, a tinfoil hat is legit. You know, we looked at tinfoil hats, the real tinfoil hats. We looked at them. They sell them for like 90 uh-huh. bucks. They actually have them. Wow, that's really pricey. Huh. But it's, I'm it's sure like a normal, in the future it'll be kind of useful. It's like a normal hat that's lined with aluminum. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, basically. It, well, it's it's lined with like the, the copper and the nickel, uh, copper and nickel oh, mesh okay. or wh- whatever it is, or tin mesh or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it'll cost you that much. So it yeah. It looks uh, normal? It looks normal. Yeah, it's it's a normal hat okay. or it's a normal uh, beanie, you know, like Bruce is wearing there. It's mm-hmm. it's it's any of those things. Yeah. Okay, that's usually why it's so expensive. I was about to say, I just make your own. One point that Bruce made that I wanted to follow up on, where he mentioned that he wasn't sure if the people's brainwaves, like depending on the, each individual, they might, you know, their pattern, their thought patterns will be different. And so presumably their ways would be different. I was just, that reminded me. Alan had mentioned, you know, they had already surpassed, like by the time they told us about facial recognition, they already moved on. They, they were trying to recognize people just by their heart rhythms. And they would already developed that by the time they told us about facial recognition. And he, he linked an article about it. And so, but each pe- people, your, your hearts, they can just identify, they tell who you are just by the way your heart beats. And so, you know, theoretically, I'm sure it's the same with the brainwaves, just by how you're, you're thinking, you know, whatever waves you're emitting, they could probably identify you that way too. At least eventually. And I mean, I haven't seen any articles about them being able to do it yet, but yeah. I'm sure, you know, once they got these. Is everybody's heart rhythm uh, different? I'm not sure if it's the heart rhythm. It's something about the heart um, that they can just like, you know, shine. They can just like, you know, uh, point a little gadget at you and have it, you know, emit a singular and they can just uh, bounce back and they can tell who you are. Uh, I'm not, maybe it wasn't heart rhythm. Maybe it was something else about the heart. I mean, they do have sensors. Like, I know Um, video games have this, but it's a legit thing to where they can detect you based on heartbeat and the electromagnetic signal that's coming off. There might be some kind of variation. Uh, there might be some kind of variation, signal strength, you know, those kind of things. I'm sure there's there's differences because we're we're organic. We're not, you know, we're we're like a, a basic. Um, we have a, the basic fundamentals are the same, but there's going to be slight variations because of right. mineral amounts and qualities and you know all the all that kind of stuff. So there, even there is going to be are, variance. Are we have voice recognition, even our voice, and the voice recognition has been around since very long time now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's that, yeah, there's all sorts of ways you can be identified. They just need to have a giant database with all of our information in it, and then they can identify us in countless ways, and there's no way you could go anywhere without them being able to figure out who we are. And, and you I already give a lot of that. Yeah. You already give a lot of that data. Like, for yeah. example, um, if you use a camera or something like that, or you have a smartphone and you've used the cameras on the smartphone, it already has your facial data. Um, the other thing, uh, retina, that's that's another thing that's unique to each person. The new stuff that they're working on now, which I was hearing here recently, is uh, the new VR um, headsets that are both augmented and virtual, so it can do both. Uh, it also has eye tracking. Wow. These things are like three, $4,000 right now. Um, the eye tracking is a problem, though, because within a month of using that that device, they will know everything about you. They will know more about you than you know about yourself because wow. everything you look at, the woman comes on screen, it knows exactly what part of the woman you look at first, where your eyes uh, stick the longest. And, you know, it, like, so it, it can nail everything about you personality wise, what your belief systems are and all of that. They, it can tell if you're a gun owner uh, or someone that is familiar with guns because you see a gun on somebody's holding a gun, somebody that's familiar with guns, what do you do? You look to see where the trigger finger is first, just as an example. I mean, so there's little things that it can notice that it uses AI to pick up patterns and everything, and it can nail down 
just about everything about you just from that. And then you have also your, it can detect heartbeat through your eyes. Um, it can detect, uh, you know, like mood and that kind of stuff all through your eyes. So the amount of data that they could, they could potentially skim with this soft, this hardware is immense. Um, and we're just freely giving it to them. And then the EEGs and all of that. So Alan always said, we always buy our own chain, our own chains. Like we always just, we just buy it. And it's so true. Uh, you know, it's just getting more and more ridiculous as time goes on. I mean, I mean the, the personal computer, you know, what a joke that was. But the personal computer, you know, the smartphone was bad enough. But, you know, now we're going into uh, mind reading territory. And, and I think actually that, that bit you mentioned with the eyes, I think they were already doing it even with like a, like a computer monitors, like some, uh, you know, they can tell like what you've been looking at and uh, including what, where your eyes were on the page. Just through the computer, maybe through the webcam or whatever. They have um, uh, software. It's it's called uh, Toby with two eyes, I think. Um, eye tracking or something like that. That's one of the softwares that uh -huh. and the various circles that I interact with, they they, they sometimes use. And um, it basically will you, you can um, you set it when you set it up, it can tell exactly where you're looking on the screen. And uh, I, I know. Uh, there's some people that use it for like streaming or, you know, like content creators and that kind of stuff so that the viewer can see where you're looking and those kind of things. But that software is already there and, and freely available to uh, the consumer for free. I mean, there, there, there's no charge. Um, right. Some, some video games nowadays incorporate that in their um, software already. Uh, you can activate it. Wow. Uh, so it's it's already around we've already had this for a long time i mean uh, retinal scanners we had the, we've had those for you know decades um but having it at the consumer level now it's it's going to be within the next couple of years everybody's going to be able to uh access these kind of things and it'll be it, honestly it's not really big right now but the the way they're pushing us into technology and everything augmented reality virtual reality those things are going to be um, that's just going to be normal life here in the coming uh, years. Yeah. It's just going to be part and of normal depending on what existence. Job, and depending on what job you work, it's, it's probably going to be required. I think already police are starting to use augmented reality. I mean, not just in China, even in the U.S. I think there was an article about uh, the military. About recently. And the military as well. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. And what is the by the way, though? I look... I mean, if we mm -hmm. just on that point before we before we jump off of that, I, I, uh -huh. I and I was thinking on this earlier today. As we get further down this this technological uh, revolution, as as things move on and as you know more consumer uh, goods and and services become available, we're also seeing another side to this, and that is the rise of the technocracy that you talked about in prep. And you know, we were looking at that chart that uh, that I sent you out of EcoScience. Uh, that was devised by Dennis Meadows uh, from MIT back in the uh, the 60s and the 70s. And he later went on to become a member of the Club of Rome. And I I see where we are in the tech, you know, development and the, you know, the, the rate of progression now. What do we have in the tech sector right now? We have AI taking over programming jobs and development jobs, right? Right. They're firing these people. And there's going to be more layoffs and more firings to come. Hell, the, the New York Times and, and the financial networks are running articles talking about how laying off all these people and firing all these people is a good thing. So you know more is coming. We also, with this rev this technological revolution, we also have the rise of robotics, right? And robotics, you couple that with the AI, are becoming smarter. So if you apply the 
artificial intelligence to these robotics more focused in what I'm trying to say is Boston Dynamics, these robots. You're talking about working a job. Are the police, are the military, are they even going to have a job with this coming technological revolution is the question. I think eventually no, but for now, yes. You know, obviously, I mean, they still do have jobs right now, but you're right. Basically, we're being phased out. We were all obsolete now. And, you know, we're all supposed to be cold, you know, die off. And be, and be, and part of that is, uh, you know, but like, what are we going to do with all these useless people, as Harari would say, you know? And uh, so they have us, uh, well, the, basically, the, the whole workforce has to be retrained. And you, I think if you go into that Teach Anocracy series that we mentioned, you know, they talk about how they have to, you know, give the children the right skills. They have to teach them very specific skills because there's going to be very limited options in the future as to what they can do for work. You know, there's not going to be, and it's probably a lot of it's going to be like a lot of technical type stuff where you're you know, having to repair, you know, some computer or robot or something because they're the the AI and the robots is what's going to be doing all the work, actual like physical work. And also even a lot of the um, data type work, you know, where you're, you're just like searching through data and so on. Um, so basically the whole culture, the whole society has to be rewritten, changed for this. This revolution is this fourth industrial revolution. And part of having a revolution, if you remember history from the industrial revolution, you know that it was awfully miserable for an awful lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people had lost their job and lost their farms and had to move into the cities or or, or maybe even willingly move into the cities thinking that it was going to, you know, eventually they'd make it big and, and then move back out. And of course, it never happened. They ended up being stuck in the cities at a very subsistence wage. And rent was too high, so they, you know, they basically they just live paycheck to paycheck, and you're stuck working in some factory in, in uh, appalling conditions. Yeah. Um, and that was the Industrial Revolution. And you have people, um, I forget who exactly said, who was it who said this, but you've had people come out uh, from the top saying that uh, this is going to be just as big, if not bigger, than the Industrial Revolution, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So it's going to be a massive disruption. And already, in fact, Melissa mentioned this article we had found uh, for Dummies book, the, the second edition of which just came out in January 23rd of this year, you know, how to do well in a, or living well in a down economy or something it was called. And that's for Dummies. And and the last time of that for Dummies, it's actually the second edition. The first edition came out right after the 2008 crash. So Melissa was like, yeah, that, that that's a telling sign right there, kind of times we're living in right there. You know, as we go through all the, the old ways are eliminated, it's just... Uh, Lots of chaos and, and misery is going to be caused. We already see the food prices, uh, particular eggs in the U.S. Especially, we see going way through the roof. There's that chicken factory who uh, burned in Connecticut recently. Yeah, the feed people complaining about the feed, the Perina feed. How they um, the chickens once they stop feeding the chickens that feed the, from Perina. I'm not sure if there's. Other, I think they might. It might be commercial feeds in general, but I think Perina in particular people were complaining about. Once they stopped and they just you know gave them other kind of feed, the chickens started laying eggs eggs again. So that's you know. So so you have all these fires, you know, like private jets crashing into food factories recently. All these fires, like over the past year, there's been more fires than I you know. I, and then I don't know how long. I don't know the exact statistics on that, but in a suspicious number of fires on all these food plants. And you know, of course, this is a time when uh, people are being laid off. So they don't even have as much disposable income, so they can't afford an increase in food prices. And uh, yeah, poverty is, well, you know, it was very predictably poverty is going to go through the roof. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it's the time to, uh, as the technocrats would put it, it's the time to start phasing people out. Now, we played this in a short form in our intro, but this is the extended form. And I mentioned 
uh, Dennis Meadows. I ran across his name in Ecoscience today. It was written by Ehrlich and, and Holdren. And I would like to play the extended version of Dennis Meadows and what he says about the population of the world. So far, globally, you are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet, that I know in one way or another it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way, I, I, and I mean civil in a in a special way. I, peaceful peace doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for: uh, that we can. I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, it, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich you know, trying to force everybody else to to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know. But I mean, these are pretty pessimistic. But uh, you know, these yeah. you, you want everybody to share in that experience. You see, and you want it to be peaceful. And that's the reason why the mandates were only a last resort for the vaccines. You see, they want the people to take them voluntarily. Exactly, is they literally want you to do it to yourself. And yeah, volunteer to be sterilized in order to save the planet. There's been some people who have done that. There's been uh, people voluntarily giving up um, animal foods, you know, so they just eat, just eat plant-based the whole foods, vegan which I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying it's not possible to be healthy eating a plant, having a plant-only diet, but it's, it's certainly a lot harder and, you know, to, you know, find the right nutrients and so on. So, I mean, if you take out, and besides, most people don't have the discipline. So if you take out the uh, animal foods, they're just going to go on, you know, I think India, if you look at India, for example, a very high rate of diabetes because you know they're going to the sugary food because they they're not eating the uh, fatty you know animal foods because you know uh, their religion their love are vegetarian and so they're going they're jumping on the sugary foods and so they have di they have a higher diabetes rates than most other parts of the world so you can see what's going to happen there with the the promotion of the plant based and again you have the mRNA vaccines altering the animals livestock animals that you know Melissa had linked to that Sunday. And you got so, Bill you Gates, know, again, who's one lifestyle. of the big proponents. He's one of the big proponents of that through his organization, Diffie. Mm -hmm. So animals are all going to be altered. And, you know, who knows, maybe there'll be an accident and they all start dying out. I mean, they claim that chickens, that's, they claim that the chickens die through the, the avian flu. Um, which, you don't really you know, I don't know why they didn't yeah. just, no, but they, that's, what, that's what the claim is. And what I was saying, you know, is what, what I was thinking was, why don't they just social distance the chickens, just like they did with the ferrets? We <laughs> linked, uh... Yeah, let them. Actually, that's a good idea. How about you put them out there in the field and let them run free like they're supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. That would uh, allow them social distance. But you don't think you don't think you don't think one uh, square meter is good enough for organic chickens? One square meter. Mm -hmm. That's is all that required by federal is law. That, to is that what it is in the U.S. It. One square meter. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
that's unacceptable in my opinion. You put them out in the yeah. pasture and let them do I, their thing. I don't disagree. Yeah. I, I have uh, someone that I know is vegan and their whole point is this whole uh, industrial system that we have for animals is uh, barbaric. And, it is. you know, I don't disagree with them. I, I agree. Yeah. It is pretty atrocious and it does need a change. And one of the one of the things that I, you know, I, I talk with them about is one of the changes I would like to see is to have it um, decentralized and have it spread out over the nation again and have, you know, farmers all over the place able to do that and uh, bring their produce to market. It would cut down on the barbarity uh, of the animal's life before it's butchered. So, I mean, it, it, it would help there and potentially makes it cheaper and keeps these things from like you're talking about with the, you know, the, the, what was it? hundred thousand chickens, I think is what they said were burned yeah. here at the uh, fourth largest in the United States. Uh, egg farm so yeah it, yeah it 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 would help versus those kind of things and to point out your uh bring up the uh the flu uh, you know the the bird flu or whatever uh and the um what's the other one there's another one that um happens with your larger animals uh bovine swine uh, what is it like or the uh, well no it's it's with yeah that's it Mad cow both disease. of those yeah both of those are only uh basically the flu what we would categorize the flu or a cold. And right. when those animals get the flu or a cold, they butcher them. They kill them off. Right. Yeah, it's policy. It's the policies. They have to kill it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is when a human being eats one of those animals that has been infected, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. You don't get sick. It's not cross-contamination. There's nothing. No, it, it just, it's safe to eat. But they butcher it off anyway. And that's that's government regulation. So... Again, another lemon on the food supply. And how do they even find out if the animals are sick? You have to wonder: Are they using what kind of tests are they using? Are they are they actually tests. looking for symptoms? <laughs> COVID tests. That's what they're using. Yeah. So if they're using the COVID tests, you know, those have all sorts of false positives, false yeah, negatives. Exactly. You know, so it'll give knows, them every excuse uh, in the world to call any herd that they want to cause a you know to cause a famine. You know, it's a it's an orchestrated yeah. famine. So and that's yeah. what uh, that's what we're looking at now is a global food shortage because of the the, the stupidity of these people. But allowing them to centralize things in the first place was our first mistake. That put us on the path mm -hmm. to this. So all of that now has to be reversed. And I've said it before. I agree with Klaus Schwab. I do believe we need a great reset. We just have different opinions on how that's going to be done. So I, I believe yep. that things need to change. Make no mistake. But when I say that we need a great reset, we need a great reset to reset ourselves away from these people. That's my great reset. Yeah. If I had uh, any say in the great reset, I, I'd say the World Economic Forum wouldn't even exist. Nope. Which, uh, nope. By, by the it way, exist. and we certainly Schwab wouldn't be doing like, any. We wouldn't be doing any deals with China either. I can guarantee you that. Whatever deals yeah, we have yeah. with China, that would be that would be eighty sixth yesterday. Yeah, and, and Schwab is in his eighties, and they're thinking about a successor now for the World Economic Forum, and they have three members of Schwab's family. Involved with the WEF, I think his wife Hilda runs some NGO that works with the WEF, and then he has a, a son and a daughter that's on the board or something. Nicole. They they both do business um, deals, uh, and I believe I believe his son, uh, or it's it, I believe it's his son. I believe that he runs the WEF in Shanghai. I believe that's his responsibility. Wow. That's that's his thing, uh -huh. and his daughter has something to do with one of these cl uh, climate change NGOs somehow. I, I don't mm -hmm. know the specifics of it, but I looked at those two. That's what they're involved in. There you go. The yeah, apple doesn't uh, fall far from the tree. Yeah. And and then so they might pick, you know, one of those, one of his children to be the next uh, head of the 
WF, but they might also pick, you know, someone like, uh, you know, Tony Blair or someone, you know, just for publicity, just for as a good public bit, because it's really, you know, Ardor. go out the front, the front man, send Ardor. you know, and yeah, so Justin Trudeau, that, that's a little, <laughs> yeah, Justin Trudeau, yeah, that'd be a great, that'd be a great pick, you know, and Carista Freeland, be, that would be a, a, a good pick for them, I think, she's always on the, you know, on the center stage down there, leading the meetings with guys like Larry Fink at BlackRock mm-hmm. and, and other world leaders, so that wow. could be a possibility. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, who, yeah. you know, because because whoever is going to take over, I mean, you, they, you know, they're not going to knock it off course, especially because the Schwab family has like uh, still still going to have like power on the board or whatever to veto certain decisions and so on. So it's it's, just, it's always going to be the same old forum. Uh, we go, the is going to go on like ahead regardless, generation after generation. So really, the only solution there is to abolish the whole thing and get it completely got cut it off completely from your um, government. Um, of course, now I'm, I'm into wish fulfillment, wish wishful thinking, and then of course, world economic forum is one of many. We really don't even know how exactly, you know, you know. I think what was it? Uh, what was that guy's name? Deese or whatever his name is, who did the Paris Climate Agreement on the U.S. side, like he, he helped negotiate the Paris Climate Agreement. Who's now like a Biden advisor? Who was a BlackRock guy? And then BlackRock isn't um, is actually probably now is in control of like the federal. Jerome Powell was like old buddies with Larry Fink. Um, we really are not allowed to know uh, who actually is running the system. You know, I mean, who who really? And because okay, like we, you know, initially, like traditionally, the answer would be was well, it's got to be the Federal Reserve System because they're in control of the money supply. But now you have you know BlackRock telling the Federal Reserve what to do. So it's like okay, it's BlackRock in control of it. But basically, you know, these these organizations are like the the thousands points of light. That uh, Bush Senior mentioned, you know, in that the New World Order speech he gave, where they every all these all these organizations work together across the world to bring about an agenda. And um, if one of them goes down, if you get rid of one of them, there's nine hundred, there's there's hundreds of others that that will take its place to sort of fill the void. And so, if any one of them gets exposed too much, and the general public is too much onto them, they can always just go do the same thing in some other organization with a completely different name and a completely different history or, you know, allegedly, maybe even a completely different objective, and then you keep on doing the same thing. And so this is a terrifying aspect of how this, uh, how the world is run, is uh, there's so many co-opted organizations, including all the charities, which have been, you know, taken over a long time. I think even back when the Bolshevik Revolution was happening, they had like a Red Army, no, not a Red Army, but like a Salvation Army uh, delegation go over there to help the Bolsheviks. I mean, all the way back then. So, I mean, it's... Uh, it's what a nightmare system. I don't know where, where, I was going, where I'm going with this. It is. And it, the whole point um, is, is it, you know, we, it's just something that's, you know, people are going to have to, they're going to have to break from it. This is the harsh reality of it. As you were saying earlier, when you go through periods of, of like what we're going through or we're, we're entering and, and what we're in, where you go through a revolution of some kind and things are changed, this has to be part of that change. We have to break from the traditional norms of being involved, rather that be through governments or, or corporations or, or whatever. All of these old norms that have gotten us to this point have to be broken. Centralization has gotten us to this point, and they want more of it. They want to double, triple, and quadruple down on that. And the whole point of this is to break away from that centralization and decentralize everything. Decentralization is the way out of this, and that's the way forward. If you go the centralized route, as they want to take everybody, the 15-minute city, the digital currency, the vaccine passports, all that stuff, the eating insects and and all the crazy stuff that, that they talk about, all that stuff that they promote, that's not the future. That's the past. And remember, too, that was one of the... Uh 
I know Alan had always would always mention this, and I haven't. If I find the source of this, I will I will post it on the website. But Alan mentioned that the Marx actually telegrammed Abraham Lincoln. At, I think it was during the Civil War. It might have been after it or immediately after it. It was around the same, you know, during the time of the Civil War, saying congratulating him on centralizing, you know, the government of the United States because after the Civil War, there was no longer states' rights. I mean, yes, they did have you know, some marginal say on, on some issues, but it was never anywhere near as uh, decentralized as it used to be, you know, before Civil War happened. Um, and I think, you know, that's, you know, it's a, it's a good point. You know, initially people thought of themselves, you know, as sort of like, you know, the United States, as you would think of like the UN where like it had different member states, but the, you know, each state is supposed to be sovereign theoretically, even though, of course, you know, I think it, it's come out now. I think Escott Reed put it in his book, um, it's it, the UN was always for getting rid of you know national sovereignty. It was always for creating a world government type idea, and and they effectively have. If you look at all the different departments, they have a, for each department that your your government, if you, the national government has, the UN has an equivalent that sort of works to, with that national agency to standardize it with the other countries. And we've been so international for such a long time. I mean, pretty much since World War II that. Uh, when you look at something happening in one country, it's always ha- it's the same thing is happening in another country. And that's the reason why, like, say, COVID policies, for example, so many countries did the same thing except for a select few small ones. Like, there's like, there's like an outlier small countries like Sweden who didn't do the exact lockdown measures that but most of other countries, they're all doing pretty much the same policies because they, they have these international organizations that standardize you, like the WHO. And so, yeah, definitely without... And also decentralization, you would actually be closer to who is supposed to be representing you. And so you could actually, you know, write them and they might actually pay attention and, and notice that you're 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 asking them to do something or to think about something. Whereas if you have, like, say, in Brussels with the EU and you live, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, in Italy or France or something, you know, the, these people in Brussels aren't going to care about your your problems. You, know, you, you don't you don't live anywhere near them that, you know, they're never going to see you. Um, yeah, so centralization is that is a, a big problem in our era because we do have these massive international organizations all across the planet now. No matter you can't escape, no matter where you go. I mean, sustainability agenda twenty thirty. All these these agendas are applied to every single human being on the planet. And I think Marvel Strong and others have have said that they've said you know there's no one's going to be exempt. They don't care about you know which country you're from. They don't care about what religion you are, what ethnicity. Every single one, what gender, every single one of you is going to be subject to this agenda. And they certainly have, have, have spread the reach of these international organizations and standardization operations all across the world through free trade and so on. And so now until you're living into one massive empire of tyranny. It's been a fantastic conversation. We're at time. Uh, we're going to have to go. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Looking forward to it. it so again, it's always a pleasure. I'm glad you made it in. Uh, I'm gl- glad you uh, you were able to make it into your office today. And uh, and I hope that it's, it's not too bad down there and you can make it back home safely. Uh, best <laughs> of luck to you. Again, Weston from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Again, I encourage all of our listeners to go over to their website and check out the treasure trove of information that they work so hard on over there of uh, the collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Again, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Bruce Weston, thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.